Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. If you've got your Bibles, I hope that you do. Would you open them up to the book of Joshua? chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are some hardback black Bibles under your chair. If you would, grab one of those. Turn it over to page 178. That's where we're going to be hanging out today. Last week, we began this new series in the book of Joshua, which we've entitled Heading Home. And as we began this series last week, I I told you that while the book of Joshua is a book about the history of God's people, one of the things we need to keep in mind throughout our entire study of the book is that this is not primarily about history. The book of Joshua is not just a collection of facts. It is God's word to us. We need to remember that as we study through it because that, that means that it's going to speak into our lives. It's going to help to lead us to be faithful, obedient followers of Jesus. You see, while Joshua does tell us the history of God's people, of Israel, it's not, that is not its main purpose. We're not told all of this history just so we can know facts. It's not, it's not meant to just give us ideas about what happened thousands of years ago. This is meant to show us who our God is and how he works in our lives. Joshua is going to remind us again and again that we serve a God who is faithful. That's why we have the subtitle, His Faithfulness, Our Obedience. We serve a God that we can count on. We serve a God who keeps His promises. But Joshua is also going to press on us a bit. As we study through this, we're going to be convicted at times, not simply informed. We're going to be comforted at times, not simply enlightened. The book of Joshua is going to remind us that as followers of Jesus, we're called into joyful obedience. And so as we began last week, we began by looking not at the beginning of Joshua, but at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. We looked at the last chapter of Deuteronomy, and then we worked over into the first few verses of chapter 1 of Joshua. And and as we did that, we got kind of a, a view of the context of the book. You see, this book begins with Moses' death. And as Moses has died, Joshua has some really big shoes to fill. Following the death of Moses, the mission that God gave Joshua to accomplish seemed overwhelming. Leading God's people into Canaan would not be easy. It was going to be really hard for him, but God had given Joshua everything that he needed in order to do that. All Joshua had to do, we saw as we looked at the first few verses of chapter 1, was follow God's direction. He needed to do what God had told him to do. He needed to stay the course. He needed to not allow fear or distraction to get in the way of doing what God had called him and led him into doing. And then he needed to do all of that, understanding that he was obeying God's law. He was obeying the word, staying in his Bible, reading, studying what he had at the time, what God had laid out before him. That's what we saw last week, but there was a kind of a fourth little aspect to all of that. And that's that he also needed to rest in God's promises. As he got ready to enter into the land, as he got ready to to lead these people into Canaan, he had to rest knowing that God had promised to make all of this happen, that God was leading him as he went. And as we saw that, the application that we took out of it was that as Christians, God is going to call us 
to do some pretty big missions. Missions that may seem at times a little bit overwhelming, that may seem at times like they're hard to accomplish, and these same principles that applied to Joshua are going to apply to us. All we need to do is follow his directions. As God gives us instructions on how to do things, on, on what to do, we want to follow that direction. We need to stay the course. We, we can't allow fear or distractions to take us off of mission. And we need to stay in our words, which is why I pressed you so hard, and I'm going to continue to press you, to stay in the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Get in there. Learn who God is and what he's called us into and how he wants us to live as we follow him. And then, just like Joshua, we want to rest in his promises. We need to know that, that God is going with us wherever we go. Because the mission he gives us to accomplish, it's not our mission. If it's just our mission, we are wasting our time. It's God's mission. And because it's God's mission, he's going to go with us as we go. That's what we saw last week. But as we continue in chapter 1 today, we're going to see that as we embark on the mission that God has given us, we have got to be unified. So with that in mind, let's just dive right in. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 10 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 18. This is the word of the Lord. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Over in 1 Timothy, we read that the grass withers, that the flower falls, but that the word of the Lord remains forever, and this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, as we dive into this text today and we look at the second half of Joshua, I ask that you would do what only you can do, that you would speak to us. Get me out of the way and help us to hear what it is you have for us here at the Point Church in Alberta, Alabama in 2022, what you want us to take out of this. Work in our hearts, work in our minds to walk out of here encouraged and empowered to live on mission for you. God, give us a desire for unity, that, that we would be a church that engages together with what you have called us into. Help us to see that you have provided what we need in order to accomplish this mission. As we go forward, you have given us everything that we need. God, help us to see that all of this is going to happen because you're at work in us. And that's the only way it's going to happen. 
Protect us from the temptation to see all the things you've given us and all that we do as just for us, that it's meant to terminate on us, but help us to see that it's leading us far beyond that into working for you, serving you, making much of your name for your glory, God. God, do all of that. We ask all of that knowing that you're capable and able to do it, and we will give you praise and glory as we do. Be at work in us today. God, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we would ask that today they would repent of their sin, that they would find freedom and joy that they they can only find in Jesus Christ. Change lives here today, God. We need you to do that. We cannot do it on our own. And we will give you all the honor and all the glory because you are worthy of all praise. It's in the name of your son we pray. Amen. You guys know I'm a Navy guy, and and I talk about it way too much. I'm sorry for that. But as I was looking at this and thinking about it, I I started thinking about the world of naval aviation. And in the world of naval aviation, and more specifically in the world of carrier aviation, there are some uh, established, almost institutional rivalries. And most of these rivalries are based in kind of this perceived pecking order of importance of the different aircraft that are in naval aviation. So if, if, you were gonna, if I were going like to outline what that list looks for, which I'm going to do, I guess, uh, I, I would start at the top, and at the top you've got the fighter aircraft. So you've got F-35 Lightning, F-18 Super Hornets. They are the top of the list. The fighter jets are at the top. Next underneath them would be your electronic attack aircraft, which are now the EA-18G Growler, which is like a nerdy version of an F-18. Um, and then before them was the EA-6B Prowler um, after them, you would have your surveillance aircraft. That's going to be the, the ones with the big radars on the top, the E-2, C, and D, Hawkeye. Um, and then after them would be your rotary wing guys. That's your helicopters. Um, they fly SH-60 Bravos and Romeos, um, which are called Seahawks. And, and then kind of at the bottom of the list are your cargo and support guys. It's the C-2 Greyhound, and now they're replacing it with the uh, CMV-22 Bravo Osprey. The Osprey, if you if you haven't heard of it, is the one that's like half helicopter, half airplane. Um, Those guys are at the bottom of the list, right? So that's kind of the hierarchy of naval aviation, especially carrier aviation. Um, And and I know that there are some guys who are like, would land land kind of in the bottom of that list that would argue with where I've placed everybody. But as a retired fighter guy, I can tell you I got it right and they're entitled to be wrong, okay? Um, But um, regardless of that list, in reality, it doesn't really matter. Because the truth is, without all of the other aircraft doing their missions, operating the way they're supposed to, none of us are going to be effective warfighters. None of us are going to get the mission done. Because the truth of the matter is, we need one another. When we go to execute a strike, which is why we exist, when we go to bomb some target somewhere, we need the whole team working in order for it to happen. So we send out a strike package, you know, with with 30 or 40 planes going in to attack a target, and everybody's got to be playing their roles. Yes, the fighter guys are the cool ones with the missiles and bombs, but the truth of the matter is, if the electronic attack guys aren't doing their job to jam the enemy surface-to-air missile batteries, the surface-to-air guns that are going to try and shoot us down, if they're not doing their job, we're never going to make it to the target. And if the surveillance aircraft aren't detecting enemy fighters coming our way and then targeting the friendly fighters into those enemy fighters to shoot them down, we're never going to make it to the the target. 
And if the cargo and support guys aren't doing their jobs, if they're not bringing us the parts and material and men that we need, we're never going to maintain or repair our aircraft. We're never going to get the mission done. In order for us to accomplish our mission, all of us have to be on the same page. All of us have to be doing our jobs, pulling the rope in the direction to accomplish the mission. We have got to be united for the mission. And as we begin in the second half of Joshua today, I want you to see that the same thing is going. Like we have to be united for the mission or the mission is going to fail. That's what we're going to see here is this this kind of reminder of the importance of unity. And as we read this part of Joshua chapter 1, I know know as we read it, you might be tempted to think there's not a whole lot of theological meat on the bones right here, right? There's not much going on here. But as we look closely, what we're going to see is an important reminder that we have to be united for the mission that God has given us. We have to be. And that unity begins by understanding that everything that we have, everything that we possess, everything that we accomplish is a result of God's provision in our lives. Don't believe me? Take a look. Verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Israel has been encamped now on the eastern side of the Jordan River in the plains of Moab for a while now. And and as they begin the process of moving into Canaan, taking the land that God has promised to give them, as they begin that process, it begins by Joshua giving them the command to break camp. He tells the leaders to go throughout the camp and tells everybody to get their stuff ready because in three days, they're moving out. In three days, they're going to cross the Jordan. In three days, they are going to take the land. And if you take a moment and you, you look at this, this can become really powerful for us. God is about to give them the land that he promised to give them. He promised to give it to their ancestors. This is a long and coming promise. It's going to be their possession. Finally, it's theirs. But as we look at this, this is not the first time that God has given them stuff. It's not the first time that God has provided for them. You see, everything that they had, everything that they had, had been provided by God. When Joshua commands them saying, prepare your provisions, that word provisions there in the Hebrew is seidah, and it literally means the food for a journey. Where did their food come from? From, For 40 years, Israel was fed by God, manna and quail. For 40 years, all of their food, it's coming from God. And here, this is certainly meaning more than food. This is talking about their clothes, their equipment, everything that they had. They're getting ready. They're packing the whole house up because they're moving across the land. Where did all that come from? After all, Israel had been slaves for 400 years. For 400 years, they'd been serving the Egyptians. Slaves aren't known for having a lot of stuff. Where did their stuff come from? The answer is Egypt. It came from Egypt. In Exodus chapter 3, flip back there if you will. Before all of the powerful signs, before all of the plagues, as God commanded Moses to go to Egypt to lead his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, God made a promise to Moses. 
And in Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, the Lord told Moses, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God promised that he was going to do this, but here's the thing. He kept that promise because after the 10th plague, after the Passover had happened, after the firstborn in every household that did not put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost had died, and they're about to leave Egypt, the people of Israel obeyed God's command. As they were about to leave Egypt, they did as they were told. And in Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, we're we're told that the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Everything, everything that Israel had came from the Egyptians because God inclined them to do that. So everything they had has come from God. He has provided all of it. They're about to begin this journey into the land, this mission to take possession of the promised land. And as they get ready to go, it's important to remember that God has given them everything that they have. God gave them what they needed for this mission. He gave them all that they were going to need as they go into Canaan. And the same thing is true for us too. God gives us missions to accomplish. And sometimes they seem hard. Sometimes they seem difficult. He gives us these missions, but he also gives us what we need in order to accomplish them. We need to remember that. We need to look for it, recognize it, see the provision of God in your life. That's what we need to see because nothing that God has given you is meant to terminate on you. All that God has given you is meant to further his kingdom, his mission. You are blessed so that you can be a blessing. And we need to make that real in our hearts. We need to internalize that. That attitude should shape our lives and overflow into how we interact and live in the church. Because our time, our talent, yes, even our treasure, our money, I know we don't like to talk about money, but all of that is a gift from God. And it's not meant to terminate on us. It's not meant to stop with us. We're meant to use it for his kingdom and for his glory. So I want you to think about that, and then I want you to do something. I'm going to ask some questions here, but I don't want you to land with the questions. I want you to act out of the questions. Think about this. Are you using your time to serve God's mission by serving the church? I know we're going to ask you guys to serve from time to time, and, and, and it can feel like you're busy and you, you don't have time for that. Let me encourage you to make time. Make time. This is important. This mission that we're going to accomplish, we can't do it by ourselves. We need one another. So are you using your time to serve God by serving the church? Are you using your talent Has God given you some talent and and you're able to use it for the church to to serve God and his mission? I know it's super easy to use the the microphone singing example like God has blessed some awesome people like Nathan can sing and I'm glad for that. 
right? But I'm not just talking about like that. Like I'm talking about the different skills that God gives us. The example I used in the first service is, is actually this baptistry here. Shane is not here, but I asked permission. He does not like to be called out. So I asked in advance, but um, if you know Shane Herman at all, you know he is a phenomenal electrician. He can wire just about anything. Um, and we have this horse trough here. And last night when I went to fill this thing, the water coming up out of the ground was something slightly above icicles, right? It was freezing cold. And, and we didn't want to freeze Philip out when we... We baptized them. So um, way a, a while ago, as we thought about like, we're going to transition to doing baptisms with this thing. We need a way to, to warm up the water. And so I said, Shane, is there a way we can heat this thing? And, and it didn't take Shane, but about two days to figure out how to wire up these heating elements that, that they rest over the top of it. And, and then there's a cord and we just plug it into the wall and it heats up the water and it gets it nice and warm um, or, or at least not frozen, right? Shane took his skill that God has given him as an electrician and he used it for the church. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about your ability to sing. Like nobody wants to hear Josh singing. I'm telling you, you just, you just don't want to hear me sing, right? But, but so, thank you, DJ. But y'all are willing for reasons that blow my mind to sit here and let me yell at you for 45 minutes a, a Sunday, right? So, so God has given me some skills. I'm using it for the church. Are you using your skills, whatever they are, to serve God's mission and to serve the church. There are so many folks in here, I could say that yes, you are, but for those of you that I'm, I'm not, and I'm not calling anybody out, are you using what God has given you to serve the church? And then yeah, we've got to talk about money. I know we don't like to talk about money in church. It gets awkward, pastors talking about money too bad. Jesus talked about money, so we're going to, right? And the truth is Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The truth of the matter is God does not need your money. He, he just doesn't. He's God. He wants you to recognize that you don't need your money either, right? He needs you to understand that, that everything he's given you is not meant to terminate on you. Because the truth is God doesn't need your money. God doesn't really even want your money. He wants you. He wants your heart. It's you that want your money. But are you using that? what God has given you to further the kingdom. I'm not asking for a raise up here. I, I'm really not. This is about bigger than, than me. It's about bigger than the church. This is about your heart and furthering the mission. God has given us our time, our talents, and our treasures to use for his kingdom, to move his mission forward. My question for you is, are you giving in those areas? Everything that God has given us, none of it, none of it, not one bit of it is meant to terminate on us. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Are you blessing others? I want you to think about that. But getting back to the text, just like a whole lot of other communities, Israel had some issues of its own. They had their own past to deal with as they prepared to move forward and move into the land. And, and Joshua addresses that in these next couple of verses, which, which is really where this emphasis on unity is going to be, become really apparent to us. So let's take a look, beginning at verses 12 and, and going on for a little while. It says, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. 
But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives to your brothers as he has to you, gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. Now, as we look at this, I want you to remember that sometimes reminders are helpful. Sometimes it's helpful to be reminded of what's happened in the past, what you've promised in the past, what you've committed to do in the past. And that's what we're seeing right here. Now, context helps us to understand that. Numbers 32 tells us that as Israel came into the land that was east of the Jordan, so they they came up around and they're on the east side of the Jordan River. As they came up into there, they, they found that the land that they were in was awesome for raising livestock. And the the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had a lot of livestock. So they decided to go to Moses and ask Moses if they could just stay there. Let their brothers have the promised land. They wanted to stay in this region. And when they went and asked Moses that, he did not react the way they expected him to. He, he called them out on their request because what he saw in their request was an attempt to avoid the hard work, uh, avoid the war, the battles that were going to be involved in taking possession of the land. So in Numbers 32, beginning at verse 6, Moses said, Shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Moses saw through their request. But, but there's a bigger problem than just missing the action here. You see, Moses saw the incident at Kadesh Barnea where he had sent the 12 spies to spy out the land and they came back and 10 of them said, hey, this land is filled with giants. It's going to be terrifying. We're not going to be able to take it. And they, they discouraged the rest of Israel. And so the people rebelled against Moses. They rebelled against God. They refused to go over into the land. And the result was that God punished that generation and said, you guys aren't going into the land. So for 40 more years, they wandered in the wilderness. 40 more years, they had to wait before they could cross the Jordan into the promised land, all because they rebelled against God's open-handed gift to them. And as Moses hears this request from these two and a half tribes, he's worried that the same thing is happening again. So he keeps on saying in verse seven, why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this. And and here, when he says your fathers, this isn't talking about like five generations ago. This is literally your dads did this. Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day. When the spies Moses sent into Canaan saw that the land and what it was, they they came back and they gave their negative report and they convinced the people to be afraid and, and the people rebelled. It angered the Lord. And the result was that 40 years, 40 more years in the wilderness so that nobody from that generation except for Joshua and Caleb were allowed to enter into the promised land. And now, Moses sees it happening all over again. He he tells him, you're doing what your fathers did. You're sinning against the Lord. 
And apparently that got through to these guys. It made a difference, so they, they made a deal. The, the deal was, we will stay here in this land. This will be our possession. We'll build up folds to keep our livestock. We'll build up cities to house our wives and our children. But all of our men of valor, all of our soldiers will go with our brothers. In fact, we'll lead them across. And we will fight until the rest of Israel has entered the rest that God has promised to give. And that's what we see in Numbers 32, 18. They promise that we will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. They had promised to fight until everybody in Israel had entered into the promised land that God had said he was going to give them. And now here, they are preparing to begin that mission. And as they are, Joshua is reminding them of that promise. He's reminding them of what they told Moses they would do. He's reminding them that the Lord had given them this land east of the Jordan, but that they still had their part of the deal to keep. They still had their promise to keep. And as we see this, we have got to recognize that reminders like this, they're helpful. They help us as Christians. We're called to be united in the mission to make disciples who make disciples. We're called to that. The mission that we have here is the Point Church in Alberta. It's going to take all of us. It's not going to take just a few of us. It's not going to take Josh and Nathan and DJ and Kim and nobody else. It's going to take all of us. We all have to be in on this mission together. And as we become owners of that mission, it's helpful to be reminded of what we've committed to do. It's helpful to be reminded because I don't know about you guys, but, but my tendency is I start to get busy. I have a, a million things I'm juggling in my life, just like the rest of y'all. And, and pretty soon it can, it can be easy to lose track of what's important. So as part of my annual physical, like, like a year ago, I, I had an incident that kind of illustrates this. I'm 41, almost 42. Um, and, and, and so I've gotten to the point where uh, like my body doesn't process food the way it used to when I was like 20 and could eat whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I, so as part of that physical that I had, I, I had to have blood work done and my doctor ordered it up. I went down to the lab and they, they drew my blood and um, a couple days later, my doc called me and, and my doctor told me, Josh, um, your cholesterol is just a little bit high. Um, <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> my wife's laughing at me because I have high cholesterol. <laughs> Anyway, so she tells me that, <laughs> and she tells me, this, this doc is no kidding, the coolest doc I've ever had. She's got, she said, Josh, you got kind of two options. Um, one, you can, you can fix this with diet. You can absolutely just, you're going to have to change your diet. No, no more red meat. Um, probably going to need to cut out most of your fats and, and sugars and, and everything that tastes good. And, and I said, doc, okay, what does that look like? And she said, well, there's this thing called the Mediterranean diet. I didn't even Google it, but I was like, okay, doc, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try and control it with that. Like the other option, she said, there, there's this little pill you can take, very low dose, and it will take care of your cholesterol for you. I, I told her, okay, doc, I'm going to, I'm going to try the diet thing. And, and that worked for about 24 hours. And I realized, I mean, I ain't built for, for healthy eating. I'm just not. So I, I give up. I call my doctor. I say, okay, doc, I'd like to say that I am the kind of guy who's going to change his diet, who's going to change the way that he lives in order to live longer. That ain't me. I'll take the pill. Um, so the doc 
she starts writing up the prescription while I'm talking with her on the phone and said, hey, here's the thing. You have to take this pill every single day. It's very low dose, probably not many side effects, but you've got to take it every single day. And it's really best because of how your body metabolizes stuff. It's really best if you take it at night. And that's where I encounter the problem because I, I don't know about y'all, but I'm doing a million things during the day and I am going to forget that I need to take a pill every single day right before I go to bed. So here's what I did. I, uh, I got out my phone, which is an iPhone, and I said, hey, and I'm not going to say the word because it, it responded to me earlier. My iPad did last. Hey, every day at 9.30 at night, remind me to take a pill. And it said, okay, like Siri does with that British voice. Um, and, and so every single day at 9.30 at night, my watch, my iPad, and my phone all ding at me and tell me to take my pill. Now, here's the thing, four months and uh, well, I guess we're at five months now, five months into this, you would think that I could remember to take my pill every single day. I can't. Tama remembers, like every night she, she tells me right as my iPad phone and watch ding at me, but I don't remember. I need that reminder to take that pill because it's good for me. And, and here's the thing, when Siri, when Siri dings at me, <laughs> I'm telling you, it started talking to me. Anyway, when Siri dings at me and tells me to take my pill, that's not Siri nagging at me. That's not Siri trying to berate me into doing something. It's not her trying to pressure me into doing something. It's a reminder that I need to do something that is for my good. And it's the same thing with us as Christians. So as we think about that, I want you to remember that that when you hear your leaders calling you to serve, when you hear us asking you to give, when you hear us asking you to make time for the church, when you hear us asking you to step in and make a difference, when you hear us pressing you to study your Bibles, to pray, to get into a connect group, we're not doing that to nag you. We're doing that to give you the reminders that all of us need that will help us to live on mission for Jesus just like Siri does for me with my pill. Because the truth is, we all need reminders from time to time. Reminders are helpful. They help us to grow. Joshua reminded these tribes of what they've promised, what they've committed to God to do, what, they, what God has promised them because reminders are helpful. And as Joshua gave that reminder, I want you to see how the people responded. Because as we continue in the text, what we're going to see is that the people responded with a commitment that they would move forward on the mission together, unified and following Joshua's leadership. Take a look. Beginning at verse 16, the Bible says, And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Now, before we go much, much further in this, we really do need to, to pause for just a moment to recognize who the people are that make up the they there at the beginning of verse 16. Because as we look at that and we look at the dialogue that's been going on, it can be a little bit confusing. It helps us to just zoom out for a minute and consider the whole order of everything that's been said here. 
So it starts with Moses commanding all of Israel, all the people via the leaders to break camp and get ready to go. And then he goes over and he talks to two and a half tribes directly. He talks to the Reubenites, the the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. He gives them a reminder. And then what we see here is all of the people, all of Israel, all 12 tribes coming back and responding to, to him. This they right here is referring to all of Israel. And that's important because it's showing us that as Israel is about to move into the promised land, they're committing to do it together in unison. They're coming to Joshua and they're saying, we're in this. We're going with you. We're going to obey you just as we obeyed Moses. We're going to hold our brothers accountable if they disobey you. That's what they're saying right here. The people are beginning the mission to move into the promised land and they're beginning together. Together, they're going to accomplish what God had set before them. Together, they're going to follow the leadership that God had placed over them. Together, they're going to take possession of the land that God was giving them to possess. Together, they're going to enter into God's rest. They're doing it together, unified. Unity is going to be required as they begin the mission so they move forward together. But as they move forward together, there's a little irony in what they're saying right here. And, and that little bit of irony is going to remind us that there's one other thing, there's one other person they need to move with them as they go. And that's God himself. You see, as we keep on reading over the next few weeks, as we read through the book of Joshua, what we're going to see is that while the people promise to obey Joshua in everything that he commanded them, they're not going to be able to keep that promise. They're going to disobey Joshua. And when they disobey Joshua, it's going to go very badly for them. Things are going to go sideways. They're not going to be able to keep that promise right there. And when we recognize that, it's going to help us to see that that there's somebody else they need instead. In verse 17, They say, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Now that word only right there in the middle of the verse, it's it's kind of breaking the flow of what they're saying. And that's the point at which we're going to see the irony popping out. Because while the people are promising to obey Joshua, they're not going to live up to that promise. Joshua can't rely on that promise. And Joshua had to know that, right? You think about it, he was Moses' assistant. He was there with Moses the whole journey. He knew these people didn't keep that promise. They didn't obey Moses. How many times did they disobey? Did they grumble against Moses, against God? He knew this people's track record. So he had to know that even if they're promising, hey, we obeyed Moses and everything, he knew that was a little bit of a stretch, right? He had to know that he couldn't trust in that. So who's he going to trust in? He's going to trust in God. He can rely on God. He can trust that God will be with him, that God will be his source of strength, that God is going to lead him and the people as they move into Israel. And by the way, that right there is a statement of fact. It's not a wish. What follows that word only there? When they say, only may the Lord your God be with you. That is not a wish. That's not a hope that, man, we really hope that God will be with you as you do this. And part of that is because of the English translation we're using right here. 
In the ESV, that the Hebrew word that's translated as may right there is, is the Hebrew word hayah, and it literally means be, which is why the, the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB, translates that sentence as certainly the Lord your God will be with you as he was with Moses. It's a statement of fact. It's saying, we know God is going to be with you as you lead us, just like he was with Moses. He's going to be with you. We know that that's going to happen. This is a fact. And as they get ready to enter the land, Joshua can be sure that God is going with them as they go. Now, we, we talked about this last week. It's an important reminder that what we're seeing here in these last couple of verses, is that when we go into the mission that God has given us to accomplish, we, we want to go together. We want to go unified. We want to have that unity, but that unity is not the goal, and it certainly isn't our hope. That's not the purpose of the mission. It's not our hope for the mission. Don't now. I misspoke just a little bit there. It is a goal. We want to have unity. We want to be unified as we go on the mission, but that's not where our hope lies. Our hope isn't that we just can all get along all the time. Our hope is greater than that. It's gotta be something greater than that. So our hope is in God. Our hope is in the fact that as we go on this mission, God is going to go with us as we go because it's not our mission, it's his We serve a God who's faithful, and we can hope in him. So we move forward together, but as we move forward together, we move forward together with God. That's what we're seeing Joshua do here. Listen, when when I was a very junior weapons systems officer, my my squadron and my air wing was um, going through a training phase in Fallon, Nevada. And during that training phase, we had a large force strike mission that we were going to accomplish um, where we were going to take out about 40 aircraft to go out and drop GPS guided bombs on some targets out in the desert of Nevada. And we, we planned that mission over multiple days. And my pilot that was assigned for that mission was one of the senior pilots, and he got assigned the mission of being the strike lead. So he is the lead bomber in that mission. And so the day of the the mission comes, we all launch out, we go out, get ready to start this strike in. We've got a wave of fighters ahead of us. And that wave of fighters goes in, they clear, clear out all of the aggressor aircraft who are simulating kind of bad guy fighter jets coming at us to shoot us down. And, 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 and the wave of fighters shoots them down. And and so the target area is now clear. And, and as we're heading in somewhere along the way, we got out of alignment with the rest of the strike package. We didn't note it at the time, so we just keep going and we get into the target area and we, we find the target, we designate it with our equipment, we guide our weapons, we release these GPS guided bombs onto the targets there in the Nevada desert. We leave, we head out, back out, and then we go back to base and we think mission success, we just won the day, we are heroes, let's go to the officers club and have fun, right? That's, that's what we thought had happened until we got to the debrief. And in the debrief there, we've got some pretty high-tech stuff, and they've got these massive jumbo screens, and and on the screens, there's little tracks for every single aircraft, and no kidding, there's over 40 friendly aircraft that are flying in this strike, and and as we're watching the strike happen, and we're listening to the radio communications that have all been recorded, we quickly realize what had happened. We'd gotten out of alignment with the package, and, and so what that meant is that when we got to the target, the electronic attack aircraft, the EA-6B Prowlers had not yet done their mission. 
You see, there were some surface-to-air missile batteries inside the target area. That the, the, No kidding. The U.S. government has purchased these things and set them up out there. And, and we flew into the surface-to-air missile weapons engagement zone before the prowlers had had their chance to jam and destroy those missile batteries. And so one of those batteries locked up on us, fired a missile, that missile guided and fused and shot us down. We were fake dead. And it shot us down before we had released our bombs. And so what that meant was that we never dropped our bombs. We never hit the target, even though real life we had. The target was not destroyed. The mission was a failure. 40 friendly aircraft, probably about a dozen aggressor aircraft, 52 aircraft in one chunk of sky, burning thousands and thousands of gallons of jet fuel, paid for at your expense, thank you very much. All of it wasted because we didn't have the unity we needed. Now here's the beauty of a training mission like that. Yeah, there's some hard lessons learned, but you can learn those lessons. You can get out there and you can do it again. Nobody actually died. We were fake dead, you know? And the lesson I learned that day was the importance of being where you're supposed to be. Now, what's that got to do with the church? God has brought us together. And there are a lot of different people in here. We've got different skill sets, different abilities. He's blessed us differently. But God has brought us together as a church for his mission. And we're never going to accomplish his mission unless we have that unity, unless each of us is where God has placed us. And we're working together to get the mission done. Our mission's not dropping GPS bombs on targets in Nevada. Our mission is making disciples. So do we have that unity? I'm not talking about the kind of unity where we get along to go along, where maybe we bite our tongue so we don't... I'm talking about real unity, where we work through hard things so that we can focus on the mission. I'm talking on real unity where where maybe my preferences aren't so important that they derail us from getting things done. God's given us what we need. He's brought us together and he's given us a mission to accomplish. The question for us today is, are we gonna be united for that mission? Are we gonna go in there trusting God, knowing that we can rely on God and then do what he's called us to do? This second half of Joshua is showing us that unity is important, that we need this. So I want to press you to to serve in the church, give to the church, use your skills for the church. Everything that God has given you, he has given you not to terminate on you, but to flow out to be used for his glory, for his mission. And then I want to press you to stick it out together and let's do this thing, okay? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church, or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.